Episode 8, Consulting 51 with Tim Guest. Listeners to the podcast might know Tim from his time as the Managing Director of Zodell Limited, a valve company based in the UK, or his time as serving as a director with the British Valve and Actuator Association. But Tim's time now is being filled with his new venture, Consulting 51, where he helps business leaders grow their businesses and he mentors leaders in how to succeed in business. Tim, in his own words, plays his cards close to his chest, but we chat about techno raves, brewing beer, growing a business, people management and culture development within the company, SAP technology, and his background to get to where he is today and his future aspirations with Consulting 51. This is a fun episode as Tim knew the Sales Change 5 questions before he arrived and he had some really great answers. As always, visit www.saleschange.co.uk for the latest news and the information on the podcast. Check out the books page on the website where we're starting to compile all of the books listed by the guests in the Sales Change 5 section and sign up for our incredible newsletter. Enjoy this episode. There's loads of great content. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the Sales Change Podcast. So give me a bit of background on you. Obviously, I know you, but mm. um, tell me about what you're up to now uh, and what you've been up to in the past. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we, obviously, we, we met through BVAA, British Valve and Actuator Association, and most people know me as being the uh, the MD of, of Zodale, a valve and actuator distributor and servicing repair company. Before that, my background was in um, SAP consulting. What's so, SAP? Uh, SAP um, ERP system. So okay. um, it's it's a software we use at Zodale. So it does um, uh, sales, purchasing, stock control, accounting. It's quite a well-known system. But I've kind of kept my hand in with with, with those guys as well. I'm still on the board of the user group. I um, sort of grew Zodale from changed the people, the process of the technology, changed the culture. I kind of got to a point where I almost made myself redundant. It's quite a nice feeling, really, sort of watching everything work. And then I sort of pursued a company to acquire us last year, um, where I sort of exited January this year, still staying on as non-exec director. But now I'm doing more business strategy consulting, uh, leadership mentoring, and non-exec director work. Nice, nice. So for the listeners, Zodel are a valve manufacturer or a valve distributor? Distributor, yeah. yeah. What was the company like when you first joined? When I first joined, it was a profitable company, um, which was good. We had had no debt, well known in the industry, been going for nearly 40 years. Culture-wise, uh, it seemed to be every man for himself. Um, there were some very talented individuals, some very good salespeople, some very good people in different departments. But there was, there was, the, the culture was really uh, just every man for himself. We had to do a lot of work with technology as well, because when I joined, again, I kind of joined to put in the ERP system because we're running on some old legacy systems. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so in a nutshell, it was a good, well-run company from a financial point of view, but from a people point of view, it was kind of lacking. So you say it was lacking. Was that? because of the leadership that was before and I don't want you to denigrate what was going before because obviously you came in to do a job but was it because there was just no leadership at the top or was it because the, the leadership before was quite um, authoritarian quite draconian to use that word and because the company was making good profit um, I think the leadership tended to leave leave it alone yeah. And rather than upset staff by making changes and various other things, they kind of left as is. Yeah. So the money was coming in. We had some good key accounts, but there were frictions between staff members, which I kind of witnessed when I joined. And what did you do to change that? 
Because this is the bit that I'm really interested in. Because when I, I I got introduced to you at the BVAA, mm. and I think there was a spring conference, and you were given a uh, a keynote speech on how you'd change the culture at Zodell, yeah. and that really resonated with me because that's exactly what I do, mm. uh, and uh, yeah. and I am doing at Safi is yeah. completely renovating or readjusting how people operate. Yeah. Um, so how did you go about it? I learned the hard way. <laughs> I'd come from, as I said in my presentation, I come from an IT consultancy background where everyone I worked with loved change. Everyone I worked with loved software upgrades. We'd even get excited about the latest software upgrade on our phones and stuff. Into an environment where people had used the same technology for 10 years. They sat in the same desks for 10 years. They'd done the same job for 10 years, some of them. And I didn't really know a lot about people and culture and change I just thought everyone liked change so I learned the hard way so the first thing I did rather than get to understand the culture and change the people I came in and understood the processes saw where we could make some improvements in the processes change the processes and change the technology the people came last uh, and that was my mistake and what would you do now do the people first <laughs> go around and find out what everybody's yeah. job is and how yeah i mean I, d I did i did do that don't don't get me yeah, wrong yeah. um but really day one i came in and started doing process mapping uh how can we improve these processes which kind of came naturally to me yeah if i was to do it again and certainly what i did after we'd done the technology changes because i mean technology is constantly changing in zodale we went through a period of um sort of change in the people we basically said we defined a set of values that we wanted people to live up to I got the staff to do all that. And then we then started working with the staff. I like the phrase, change the people or change the people. So yeah. some people changed to the new way of working. Some people said, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't like working here anymore. I can't fit in with the culture. So they moved on. Uh, some people we unfortunately had to let go. That's kind of one of the worst parts of the job. Did you find that difficult when you have to change the people? Yeah. Yeah. It was difficult. Mm. Uh, my background is I was in water treatment and I was mm. uh, very successful, like normal salesperson out yep. on the ground. And then I went and I jumped from a big pond into a little pond to mm. try and find my feet and try and find a way that I could use my skills in a, in a leadership role. And I did that and I went into a business development role and then national sales manager mm. role. And my skill was also was always to get the people on side first yeah, yeah. so that I can get the results yeah. that I want to, them to do. And what I've used that to do is to then move into a general management role yeah. and I, I think I did it the opposite way to what you've done in that I looked at the people first. You probably did the right way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say it's the right yeah. way because the, you have to upgrade processes and you have yeah. to upgrade the technology, and, but it's just a different, different yeah. route to do it. It, mm. was, it was, I like to find out what makes people tick so that I yeah. can then motivate or incentivize them to, yeah. in order to, to get a, elicit a response. We're going through the process now of changing processes We've changed the technology, and the technology was done before I joined. Yep. There was still some dinosaur equipment in there. We had a fax machine, and we had a an old-style answer machine. We used, we also had a typewriter on one of the desks. Wow, okay. Yeah, so it was it was that backward. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the people now, I believe, we've got in place mm. are great, and the processes are now the, the thing that – and this is the bit that I struggle with mm. – is the process, yep. which is difficult for me to – because I don't like detail, yeah. so it's it's difficult for me to, to to implement. So, what would you say your biggest success was in growing Zodell? The, uh, the success was definitely the culture piece, and and the whole change of staff, because we we had a few staff who we lost who were really really good at their job, yeah. knew the products inside out, knew the customers very well, were top builders in the sales team, um, ran um, operations teams really well. But because they didn't fit into the culture, 
we kind of parted company on, on good terms. And, and we went through some really tough times trying to fill those gaps. People thought the company was going to fall apart. It didn't. So I'd say the biggest success is getting a team now and hearing the team say, this is the best team we've ever had. Everyone gets on well most of the time, but everyone works. Um, it's it's like a like a machine. Everybody's got a part to play and everybody does it smoothly. Yeah, yeah. Were you scared when you were letting the people go that were top billers and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, mm. but you just had to do it. I had to do it. And and people, you know, no, no discredit to any of the guys that have left because they were all good people. But but when when these people left, people were, existing employees were, were concerned. But then literally two or three days after the dust has settled, wow. It's the ceiling place. has been removed and mm. such, and, and they've got the opportunity to flourish. Yeah, correct. Yeah, because mm. when I left the national sales role that I was in before Safi, I was obviously well-liked because I'd built the team around mm. me and, and the way that I wanted to do. But there was a natural ceiling because I was their boss yep. and I wasn't going anywhere soon mm. unless I, I decided yep. to leave. There was a natural ceiling, so people weren't able to flex and yep. see where they could mm. fit into the company. Yeah. Um, now I've left, I, I still keep in touch with the company and we've had the managing director on one of the podcasts. Now I've left, mm. people have fitted into roles yeah. that they didn't think they could fulfil. Mm. So it's yeah. trying and to find a, a position for them. Yeah, It's very rewarding as well to see people when you suddenly take away, um, as you say, that, that kind of glass ceiling. Um, and I, I was of the mentality that different managers have different responsibilities and they know what they can and can't do, what they should do. Uh, and people come to me and say, well, we've got this customer on the phone. What credit limit should I give him? Go and ask John. He's the financial controller. Oh, we've got a problem. This delivery's going to be late. What do we do? Go and ask Sue. And and, and my my uh, what I used to say to the management team is, you make the decision and I'll back you on it. Yeah, empowering um, the people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. How do the people that you managed see you? Well, this is interesting. We do, we do 360 feedback or more like 180 feedback to the management team always get anonymous feedback on how we're doing, how we're living up to the values. Um, and I think some of the, the anonymous comments I've seen is that people like the freedom that I've given them. They like the faith I've given in, in them to, uh, to sort of go on. And they like the way I've kind of pushed people into saying, you know, you can do this. You're not just a whatever type role. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, some of them see me as sort of inspirational, I think, um, yeah. in, in the way I've made some of the changes. From my limited um, perception of what I've seen you do and the, the speeches that you've given and, and the discussions that we've had, you are a very engaging and magnetic character. Thank you. And <laughs> <laughs> you're all right. <laughs> um, and I think it's easy when, you're, when you've got that personality to, to get people to do what you mm. want them to do. And I, I agree, you, you, you are inspirational in terms of what you've done at Zodell. So yeah. tell me about what you've got coming up next. What you Well, uh, virus permitting. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, again, I'm, I've got a consulting practice called Consulting 51 Limited. It's just me. I don't make any, um, uh, any bones about it. It's just me. Um, and what I do is I work with ambitious business leaders. I only work with people I believe in. I only work with people who I like and people who I think I can make a change to. And what I try and do is to help um, MDs or leaders in, in um, you know, SME type businesses to do what I've done, um, helping them learn from, the mis- sorry, helping them with, through with the mistakes I've learned, not making the same mistakes I did, and helping them basically to get their businesses to a point where they can either sell a business or, I hate the phrase, but it's like the, the cliche, work on your business, not in the business. Yeah, yeah. What does an ideal client look like for you? I'm not picky with who I work with. It's more about the person. The person has to be the person who continually wants to learn, who continually wants to improve what they do 
uh, and he's open to suggestions, but also brings their own suggestions to the table. Yeah. So what would set you apart from anybody else that is doing the same thing in your industry? Yeah, that is a good question. I think there's quite a lot of people out there who call themselves business coaches and no discredit to any of them. They do a fantastic job. Um, the ones who I've encountered tend to have more like a one size fits all type method. And some of the feedback that I've had from the clients I work with are that these people have never run a business. Unless you've been to bed at night worrying about the fact that you've only got 100 grand in the bank, you've got £600,000 worth of aged debtors, you've got £100,000 VAT bill to pay and £40,000 wages, unless you've had those sleepless nights, unless you've had to deal with actually sitting across the table from uh, a dad of two and have to, unfortunately, let him go, um, unless you've lived through that, you, you, how can you advise another business owner? So I'd say one of the things that sets me apart is my experience, that I can put myself in their shoes and really empathise with, with how it feels to run a business. I'd also say my professional training. Um, last year I went through the Institute of Directors Chartered Director Programme, which is an MBA level qualification in running a company, and went on, all the way on to become a Chartered Director as well. And I continue to learn. I'm currently doing a eight-week financial technology program with the Oxford University. And, and yeah, I, th I think it's just a mixture of experience combined with education and that hunger to continue learning. I think learning is massively important. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a big reader of books. When I get time, I like them. I like audio books, but I have to concentrate. Otherwise, you can listen to chapter after chapter and forget what, what, what you've, what's happened. But yeah, I do. I, I always read educational books. I yeah. find that with audio books. I mean, I like... I like uh, I've said this previously on other podcasts, but I've got about six or seven books on the go yeah. and I dip into one or the other, whichever yeah. takes my fancy when I get into bed. I've got, my wife hates it because I constantly order books and then yeah. put them on the nightstand and then, uh, yeah, we'll read two or three chapters and mm. then move to the next book. Yeah, yeah. Where would you like your business to be in the next five to 10 years? My consulting business, I would like to get to a point where I have, um, say, five regular customers who I'm working with. I'm also doing non-exec director services as well, so potentially two non-exec director roles. And I'd like to be in a position where I'm probably working three days a week out on client sites. The rest of the time will be spent doing sort of marketing and uh, spending time with the family, really. What's your go-to marketing method? Go-to marketing method would be LinkedIn, yeah. followed by um, blog posts on the website, Twitter. Uh, I wouldn't bother doing any any paid advertising at the moment, really. I mean, even in Zoda, we got our paid advertising back massively. We do everything SEO now. Yeah. What was, because you did a, a fair few exhibitions with Zoda, didn't you? Yeah. Did you have much success with that? We did, particularly with the beer shows. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other oh, yeah, ones, you not brewed so much. your own beer. Yeah. Mm. Is that fun? Yeah, really good fun. Because yeah, we want to, yeah, yeah. I, I want to do exactly the same in, in Safi. Yeah. I want to have a, because I came to your premises at Zoda and had some, sampled yeah, some of the beers. Yeah, yeah. And I want to do exactly the same. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great. It's a gimmick's not the right word, but I think it's a great. Yeah, feed for yeah. clients to come and visit your. We've still got the brewery there, and we did a. Um, we, we do brew days with customers, not necessarily in the beer industry. People who just like to brew beer. So you got a customer on site for four hours. You brew beer with him. You show them round, build relationship with all the sales staff, and then four weeks later, you give them twenty four beers. So yeah, I'm part of the executive committee for Safi. So we it's the, the general managers from. Peru, Chile, Spain, yeah, Germany, yeah. and then all the executive board that are in France. And it's a running joke that the Englishmen like beer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so every, <laughs> I arrived at uh, Santiago Airport for our executive committee meeting last October, and the first question I got asked was, should we go and have a beer? The same as in when I arrived mm. in France. I think it would be a great tool for us yeah. in the UK mm. to have a, a beer brewing 
facility mm. in, in Safi. Yeah. Um, is it hard? No. Is it, it hard? I, I taught myself in probably three brews. So three were undrinkable. The rest <laughs> were okay and then got better and better. And now, because I know the ratios now, literally the guy who came in to brew with us two months ago, I just threw the recipe together on the day. Because if you know the ratios of grain, water, hops, yeast, you, you, you're always going to turn up with something drinkable. Is it fairly expensive to get started? Is it? No. No, no you can, depending on what you want to do, I mean, the, the, the homebrew kits that we used to sell um, at Zodel, you could probably start with about two and a half grand, f- between 1,500 and two and a half grand for a proper kit. But if you're wanting to go cheap and cheerful, you can get started for as little as 100 quid. Just put a, a pot on your uh, on your stove and the cooling process, you fill the bathtub up with ice and put the pan in there. And it's, <laughs> it's quite, it's, it's easy to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a great way of... I mean, it was a great way for me to network with Zodell. And I know you've given speeches at the BVA about networking. Yep. Is networking big for you? Is that? I'm not a fan of networking as such. Um, I believe networking works when you are with a group of people who know you and know what you do and, and are happy to refer you. I don't tend to go to networking events where you stand up and go, hi, oh, this is what I do. Here's a business card. I, I'm a member of a, a golf networking group which is in, well, they're, they're nationwide. It's called Four Business. Uh, I'm a member of the London one. And because you're meeting each other on a regular basis, because you're playing golf with each other, probably meet for beer in the evening as well, business gets passed. So networking is different to what it used to be maybe 10 years ago, when it literally was about broadcasting what you do and expecting something back. Yeah, I think the old school approach of walking into an exhibition or, or, or a networking event and handing yeah. out your business cards mm. willy-nilly, yeah. that's no longer... no. You can't do that anymore. No. There's a book um, called Influence by Robert Cialdini, and one of the chapters in that is about reciprocity. So if I do something good for you, you feel obliged to do something for me. And that's more what networking's about now. So I like to find out what people want. What does your ideal customer look like? What does your ideal lead look like? And I'll find them a few leads, and then they'll hopefully pass them back to me. Yeah, I'm, and that's mm. the way I do mm. it personally. Yeah. And when whenever I go into a business. So I did that with the water treatment business yep. and it worked very well. We increased the sales and and I think it's massively important to network within your industry as well because friendships within the industry and that's why I go to the BVA events and uh, speak with competition <coughs> and speak with all the companies yep. that we're supposedly pitching against. But I think it's massively important to know your network and know your well, competition. BVAA is a very good networking platform because we all know each other. Yeah. Um, and it takes time for people to trust you and to trust you with someone who is potentially one of their customers. Because let's face it, if you refer your best customer to me and I do a really crap job, then they're going to be annoyed with you. So it takes time for people to trust you. And and, and certainly we, we've been referred some good leads through BVAA members. Yeah. Um, you know, with the biggest order we had was 18 grand from another BVA member. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I think if you dip out, out of that for any period of time and you don't participate or you you lose contact with the people mm. who are influential, it's really difficult to get it back because then it they is. build a network yeah, yeah. that yeah. doesn't include you. Yeah. When you were growing Zodell and you were obviously taking people out of the business and, and bringing people in, what was your go-to recruitment method? How did you bring in the right people? Did you have a method that meant that you had the right fit? We did. We've got a um, recruitment written recruitment process um, that we would do with people, starting with a telephone chat just to basically see, do you sound like the sort of person we can work with? And more importantly, does it sound like an interesting role for you? Because if the person's not interested, it's not going to work. We would do a two-stage interview 
process. Well, it's a three-stage, but, but the last two were in, on the, in the same stage. So we do a first-stage interview where we go through the CV, check dates, match up, outline the role. Are you interested in the role? Why do you think you, why do you, think you would enjoy working in the role? If there's mutual interest, so they like us, we like them, we bring about for a more formal interview. We get them to do a presentation to certain members of the team on... I, I used to do a presentation on, so tell us what you know about Zodale, tell us what you know about our business, tell us about the Internet of Things and how you think that can impact on our business because it makes them research. And then we do a competency-based interview. So describe a time when you've had to deal with X situation. Mm-hmm. Tell me about a time when you've had to deal with whatever else. So we, you're getting real-life examples from people. And we have a very detailed scoring matrix. Yeah, And everyone will score them. 30 to 35% of those marks are based on skills. Uh, the rest is all based on attitude, cultural fit, and whether we like them as a person. And then we all work out our totals, and then you've got a score. And obviously a bit of gut feel goes into that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever recruited the wrong person? Oh, yeah. Have you ever been duped? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think it's really difficult for leaders to admit that Actually, we make mistakes in hiring. Especially in sales, because a salesman is a good salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> in the interview, they're selling themselves. And, and I've recruited dis- some really bad yeah, salespeople. Yeah. Like, they've sold me on the first interview, and I've, yeah. like, bought into their story. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of one guy who, oh, yeah, I've just come out of a divorce. but <laughs> and, and I had been divorced maybe two or three mm. years, so I'd, I was, yeah. like, empathizing with him, yeah, and, yeah. which is what you do in a sales role. Yeah. Uh, and he came on, and within six months, I'd realized, yeah. oh, no, he's... He's mm. sleeping in his car in a service station. My He's, goodness. Yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my advice to anyone who's recruiting is to hire slowly and fire quickly. Yeah. If you realise that you made the wrong choice, just, I know it sounds hard, but just get rid. It's Because the, they're going to do more damage than good. Yeah, especially to the culture of the company. Yeah. Because if you allow underperformance or you allow negative people to breed the negativity, yeah. it will damage the culture well, instantly. Right. Yeah, culture of a company takes years to build and can take weeks to, to destroy. Yeah, and if the and if your people see that you are allowing that to yeah. proliferate throughout the company, then... Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they lose confidence in you. Yeah. How do you deal with negativity? Like both... In, in my person or with other both, people? Both, yeah. Um, in, in, uh, yeah, so I, the question I was framing it was actually... Uh, how do you deal with negativity in the corporate and in your personal life? But if you want to take it as like internal negativity as well. Uh, in, well, um, I've had some psychometric testing done and I'm a very emotional person internally, but I give off nothing. So people, I'm reading that in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy. I am happy to be here. But, uh, but it's, it's interesting knowing that. But I can come in and, and be feeling really negative about something, something business-wise, or I can be worried about something. But I'll always appear positive to the staff because that's what you have to do. Yeah. And I, it's just a personal thing that I, I don't tend to give off a lot of emotion. Um, and so I, I, that's just what I, what I would do. From a company point of view, if somebody is being negative... Uh, and we have had situations where certain individuals will come in, they've had a, a shit day or a really bad meeting or sales fallen through and they're banging their desk and stuff. It's just to have a little quiet word and say, first of all, what's happening? Can we make it right? Yes or no? If not, you know, let's move on. Because if you have these negative thoughts, they're going to ruin the rest of your day. So just park it. You've done everything you can do and you've lost that 50 grand order. Let's move on. Yeah. And just also explaining to them, or making them realise that their negative actions and their negative presence in the office could well be having an effect on other people. Are you quite pragmatic and rational? Mm. I mean, oh, with, very, the, yeah, with yeah. the current situation with the coronavirus, are you yeah. on the 50% of the country which is 
panic buying toilet roll or you're on the other side, which the other is side. <laughs> yeah, buying chicken that you need on the day. Uh, we're, um, I'm exactly that. I, I'll buy what I need. And, and if I get quarantine, I'll just get Just Eat delivery, Ch- probably Chinese as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, very logical and pragmatic. That's me. So. so you say you're not very good at showing your emotion. Does yeah. that play into how you communicate as well? Are you Do you work on how you communicate? Uh, yeah, you- because I, I have... People can see me as having a very serious face sometimes. And my sense of humour is very dry. I can also be quite direct. And there have there were times in Zodel in the early days when I said something to someone in a joking fashion, which they've taken really seriously and got really upset about. And I've had to be like, no, 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 it's it's a kind of a joke. The fact I wasn't smiling does, doesn't mean that it wasn't it was serious. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I have had to sort of learn that and, and, and just work with people. Whereas there's other people that, that, that wear their heart on their sleeve and, you know, like, almost like a child. And they can go from being absolutely ecstatic to crying and kicking on the floor sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And those those are really difficult people to manage, I yeah. believe. Because I feel that I have to... What's the right phrase without sounding derogatory? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be careful, haven't you? So. You have to parent them in you, a way. Yeah, yeah. You have to parent yeah. them and yeah. sort of protect them from themselves. Yeah. And it's really difficult to manage them in that mm. way. That's what you have to do as yeah, a boss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you've worked at Zodel, you've done the SAP stuff, and you're working into Consultant 51 now, mm. uh, which is your own company. If you were going to go into a business, which, what would be the three main actions that you would use in order to grow a business? So what would be the three go-to actions, like a, let's say a three-step process, that you would say, right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. So if you start at stage one. The first thing would be to get to know the people and get the people to trust and want to follow me because you can't be a leader unless you've got followers. So there's no point turning up to a business and saying, right, everybody, we're going to grow the business, we're doing this, this and this, because you won't get buy-in. So the first thing I would do would be to get to know the people and included in that would be to run a series of workshops where we get them to sort of workshop their ideas on on where we can grow the business and, and involving literally everybody, um, warehouse staff, um, literally everybody in the company, we would get to get to do that. Work through those ideas with various team members and decide what we work on. That would be one strategy. The next strategy to grow the business would be to look at costs, fixed costs, analyze fixed costs and cut costs. Um, yeah. Because that's a very, particularly in times like this, when we're, we're all going to be suffering lower sales, let's cut some fixed costs. Do we need the cleaners in five days a week? Well, probably yeah, at the moment we do. We do. Yeah, we do at the moment. <laughs> probably bad ex- bad, that's probably a bad example. Uh, but yeah, just to cut some fixed costs would be another one. Uh, and the other one would be to look at lead conversion rate because everybody's so desperate to get new sales leads. I want, I want new customers. I want new leads. Well, hold on. You've got 5,000 people on your database, 3,000 which haven't bought you from it, 3,000 which haven't bought from you in a year. Let's contact them and win them back because you already know them. So yeah. that'd be my three tips. Cool. So we'll move on to the Sales Change 5 questions, which is what we ask on every single podcast. You've heard these on, on the podcast that you've listened yep. to. Which leader do you look up to the most? In a, in, I can, can I give you two? Of course you can. One of them yeah. is a real-world leader. It's a real-world. One of them is a leader who I've worked for, and that's a chap called Stephen Stiliano, who I worked for him many, many years ago when I was working in a call centre for a debt management company. I then worked on the advisory that must side of it. Yeah, it was. It was, was uh, I don't know, early 2000s. God, I have to show my age now. But he was a, uh, he was a normal lad from Blakely, which is a 
not the best part of Manchester. And he set up a company, um, grew the company, and I, I don't know what it's worth now, but it's, it was huge when I worked there. But this guy, he had a glass office in the corner, nothing fancy. His door was always open. He'd walk the floor. He talked to the guys in the call centre. He had a brilliant relationship with the cleaner. He, he literally, he, he was not in his ivory tower. He was part of the team. And I really respected him for that. Someone who I don't know who I'd like to know is Tony Shea, who's the um, founder of Zappos, which was acquired by Amazon for, I, I don't know the number, but it was huge. And he's written a book called Delivering Happiness. He started a company, sold it, made a few million, lost it, started Zappos, made a few million, sold out to Amazon. The reason why I like him is because he's done similar to me. He's learned along the way, but he's very much about the people, about the values. Uh, if you make it a nice environment for people to work in and you foster a culture of innovation and creativity, no idea is a stupid idea, you're going to be a, have a good company. What's your ideal definition of a leader? Like what are the qualities? The qualities of, I mean, there's varying different qualities. I think a leader's got to be um, someone who is capable of inspiring others and are going to want to inspire people to follow them. Another quality of a leader is you have to be very resilient because you do get a lot of knockbacks, you'll get people who, who don't like you. And for me, that was quite hard thinking, well, they don't like me. It's, it's quite tough. But you've got to have quite a thick skin. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's resilience, organisation, got to be well organised. Yeah, if you don't know where you're going and how you're going to get there. Exactly. And, and start, seven habits of, of highly successful people start with the end in mind. Yeah. So this is where we want to get to. We want to grow from two and a half million to three million over two years. How are we going to get there? Where's the money going to come from? So yeah. plan, plan, work it back. What was the worst job that you could ever do and why? I've done loads of jobs. I've worked as a hospital porter, been a van driver, worked as a docker down in Southampton down the road. <laughs> worst job this was a tough one to think about. I'd probably say it would be a toilet cleaner at a um, techno festival <laughs> because A, I'd be cleaning toilets, which wouldn't be that good. B, I'd be looking at people coming into the toilets, having a really great time. And C, I'd be able to hear the really good music but not be able to go and join in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. What did you want to be when you grew up? Never grow up. <laughs> Never grow up. I don't know. I, I, I failed my A-levels. Um, I went to university in Southampton. I, I scraped scraped into a uh, degree course from doing a foundation but I dropped out of that so I failed that I then worked as an estate agent I didn't I didn't have a clue to be honest no clue at all when did you suddenly realize ah this is what I want to do or do you still not know <laughs> I still don't know <laughs> <laughs> just finding my way as I go along yeah. um, I would say I'd never been very career focused I spent most of my 20s going to raves and clubs and parties earning enough money to go out the weekend was all I really cared about uh, and then I met a couple of SAP mentors, uh, John Appleby and DJ Adams, uh, who were amazing technical wizards with this software. And I thought, wow, these guys are really cool. I want to be like them. So how can I be like them? And it's the work they did in the community as well that really inspired me. So the work they did sort of mentoring others. And, and, and that was kind of a turning point in my life when I thought I want to go down this sort of route. And then, so I, I'm just I'm just making it up as I go along. Really. Yeah, I think most of us are, to be yeah. honest. Um, what was the last book that you read? Tim? The last book that I read for pleasure was The Travelling Cat Chronicles. Who's that book? Um, I don't know, but it's uh, a Japanese person. But it was quite a relaxing book to read on holiday. The last workbook that I've read was is Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. It's the follow-on from Influence. And it's basically about how to persuade people to do what you want. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm going to look that one up. Yeah. And the final question I've got is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, which is your favorite social network and why? Uh, LinkedIn for work because I've got 5,000 contacts and it's just the go-to place for work, I think. And then Instagram for personal. Yeah. Twitter's okay. I scan Twitter. I post a little bit. I don't really bother with Facebook. No, I don't bother with Facebook either. <laughs> no. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go anywhere yet. Julio, tell people where they can get more information. If you like the podcast, go visit saleschange.co.uk. That's good, but you said dot, do, dot. Saleschange.co.uk. Why don't you head? No, 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 no. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Go to saleschange.co.uk and saleschange.co.uk and subscribe to our incredible newsletter. Thanks for listening.